Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Melvin, and we are back in action. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, I am joined by my lovely wife, Catherine, and the two of us will be discussing Bruce McDonald's Samson. I've been bouncing around the idea of having Catherine join me for an episode of Cinematic Doctrine for quite some time, and finally, a year since creating the podcast, the two of us have finally settled on a film to review together. Samson, or any Pure Flix film for that matter, was not necessarily a film we ever thought we would jump on for this opportunity. But as you will hear later on in this episode, the timing was surprisingly perfect. And with Samson streaming on Netflix, it only made sense for us to give it a go. Within this episode, we open with why we watch Samson, of all things, followed by our general thoughts regarding the film. As one would suspect, we conveniently transition into discussing whether Pure Flix's Samson is biblically accurate and how we feel about the film's handling of the material. Not only that, we head into a discussion about the difficulty of adapting anything historical, let alone biblical, and what can cause a biopic or historical adaption to risk bearing false witness. And lastly, when discussing anything Pureflix, the two of us share our candid thoughts regarding the self-proclaimed wholesome and Christian film production company, and how their mission, as well as their subsidiary, Quality Flicks, may not be coming from a position of moral decency, but actually capitalistic opportunity. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's give you guys a brief idea on what the movie Samson is all about. And just to be clear, I want to repeat that again. This is what the movie Samson is all about, not necessarily chapters 13 through 16 of Judges. But anyways, here's the quick rundown. Samson, a prophesied child made strong by God to overcome the Philistines, the nation that oppresses Israel at the time, is a troublemaker. He's a young man who finds more joy in hijinks than growing in his responsibilities, or even more so, his birthright. But as the Philistines grow in their influence and power, his family is in peril. In seeking to overcome the Philistines and struggling to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, he begins to grow enamored with the Philistine lifestyle. But not long after, he rests his gaze upon the presence of a beautiful Philistine woman named Delilah. The Philistines, fearing this Israelite prophecy, seek at every turn to subjugate and overcome Samson. But his power is too great. Knowing Samson's penchant for troublemaking and seeing his budding relationship with Delilah, they seek to take advantage of this prophesied hero's calling and do whatever it takes to defeat him. Will Samson finally fulfill the prophecy, or will the Philistines be the victors in the end? Samson is rated PG-13 for violence and battle sequences. The violence in the film is alright, I guess. It's not very provocative, except for one sequence near the end of the film that might be a little frightening as well as a scene at the very end, but in my opinion, it's not all that effective. Even so, it's something to be mindful of. And I guess when it says battle sequences, it's talking specifically about a scene in the middle of the film that's very long. It's not graphic, but again, it's long. By the way, the certificate doesn't mention this, but while the film attempts to be non-provocative in a sexual or exploitative nature, there are women who are very clearly escorts and the like when it comes to the story. 
Also, this is just really cute to me, but on IMDb, the listing for anything sexual includes five scenes of brief kissing and three scenes of hand-holding. Scandalous. Now, before we head into our Samson discussion, I want to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. Apart from that, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a website for independent content creators to raise support for their work. By creating an account on Patreon, you can select a content creator you like and support them with a monthly donation. If you enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, consider donating, as it helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. And as a bonus, if you support Cinematic Doctrine for as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll, where you decide a movie we discuss or review on the podcast. You also gain access to the Sindoc Pre-Show, the upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I talk casually about movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check them out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. All of this will be available in the show notes. Without further ado, here's our thoughts on Samson. So I'm here with my lovely, amazing, precious wife. Hi, Catherine. I love you. <laughs> hey, uh, I love you too. Aww. That's really cool. That's super cool. So you don't have a podcast, but you're super cool. So why don't you tell everybody about yourself? Yeah. So, hey guys, I'm Catherine. I'm Melvin's wife. We've been married for like three years now. And in that time, we've seen a lot of movies together. And so whether we've just like seen things at home or gone out for a double feature and seen something like um, Honey Boy or Waves, which was just like a really fun experience, we've been movie buddies for a really long time. And uh, so that's that's pretty cool. So fun fact about me, the first movie that I recommended to Melvin while we were dating was Fight Club which I always think is pretty ironic because if you know me, uh, I'm a really soft-spoken preschool teacher and I like to sew and bake. So I definitely don't think I'm the kind of person that looks like they would enjoy watching a movie where Edward Norton and Brad Pitt just get the snot beaten out of them. Which is great because when I introduced you to, I think, what we watched online, the like the first movie you and I watched together where it was like, I think we were on Skype and I was screen sharing or something and we watched uh, we watched Donnie Darko together with one of our other friends, which was so much fun. But yeah, I remember you came up and we watched Fight Club together and I remember my mom coming into the room and being like, uh, or or no, you had stepped out and then mom <laughs> came in and was like, are you are you sure it's OK to be showing, you know, your your new girlfriend a movie with so much cursing and language? And I was like, mom, she she brought it. <laughs> she was the one who brought it to our house. And then my mom was like, oh, OK, <laughs> it was just fine after that. So I was like, I was like, I would I wanted to watch Gravity. <laughs> but Yeah. Which, by the way, Fight Club was far more entertaining than, than Gravity. But yeah, it was that was that's always a fun story that we tell each other, apart from the fact that we also met online playing video games. Yeah, I was we were both playing Left 4 Dead 2. And we just, you know, the Lord just had us enter a lobby together and it was love at first voice com. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really helpful that um, both of us had like avatars that we were like, oh, you you watch Steve Brule? Oh, you watch anime? Oh, 
and then yeah it was great totally the lord's work yeah it was great i saw john c Riley in a steve brule outfit and i knew that's the woman for me <laughs> this is super cool for me too because Catherine has heard me podcasting for the last year now she's been kind of like a hidden editor for the podcast a lot of the episodes for those who have been listening since the start since they were solo episodes they're just me she was the one who would listen to the episodes before they were uploaded to make sure that things sounded right that I wasn't slurring anything and she would just make sure that the episode sounded right and so now it's cool to have her on the show in our new discussion format which is so much easier on my end because I'm not writing a script for a couple hours. Uh, so this is pretty cool. And I just love my wife so much. So having her kind of step into my world a bit is super cool. So hopefully, Catherine, you really enjoy it. And we can have you on again some other time too. Yeah, I'm glad for the opportunity to get to chit chat about things. I know sometimes we joke about like me being the real critic. I'm a little less forgiving with some things. It's just it's always fun to talk to you about the movies after we've seen them but uh this is also a really cool thing to be doing yeah because you i think some people listening think i'm really strict or have or i'm very opinionated but i'm usually the one who walks out of a film a bit more forgiving <laughs> than Catherine is and it's it's surprising i uh, i've joked with cat i'm like we'll get you out of this cynical film critic phase we'll you know give it another year and you'll get to a point where you're like you know there's some cute things here and and they'll grow They'll get better, <laughs> but until then, <laughs> I'm still I'm still basically in the cage stage of moviegoer experience. So it's awesome. My wife's the best. So, which is why we decided it would be a great idea to watch this is watch Samson really, which is our first time on Cinematic Doctrine talking about a film that is intended for a christian audience a film that it well first reformed was somewhat intended for a christian audience but i think it had the awareness that it also needs to make a movie because it's a movie and this is the first time we're talking about a, a pure flicks film which is something kind of in the development of the podcast i always thought would be interesting to go over pure flicks films for any particular reason because i think both within Christian circles and without Christian circles, people recognize that pure flicks films and most films tar targeted for Christians usually forget that they're also supposed to be making movies, which is always fascinating to me as a movie guy, especially as a Christian too, who wants to see people make art for the Lord, but also make sure that there's like kind of a sense of quality to it. I digress. So having Catherine on for this <laughs> is even doubly fun because Catherine, what were you doing before we decided to watch Samson? So I'm a part of our women's Bible study group. And, you know, a lot of times when you think women's Bible study, you think of these really frou-frou, feel good, how to be a biblical mom, how to be a biblical woman type of Bible studies that happen to be pretty prevalent depending on uh, what Christian circles you're in. So I was really surprised that our church decided that they were going to go through the book of Judges. I was really glad that we're going through the book of Judges because I think it's an important part of women's ministry that like we're able to talk about challenging parts of scripture and glean knowledge from it. I was I was reading through the book of Judges and 
we got to the four chapters about Samson. And we finished the first two chapters, and I was pretty interested about the story. Then I was contacted by one of the leaders in our group and asked to lead the study on the second chap- second two chapters of Samson's story. So as I was prepping for all of this, I thought it was funny as we were looking through our Netflix account that the Samson movie would keep cropping up. And me and Melvin would kind of joke back and forth about it, like, oh, two hours for a movie about Samson? And kind of understanding the quality of Pure Flix films, just kind of joking about actually diving in and seeing that. Yeah, and we would always kind of joke about how both of us would have to be in a particularly specific mood to even decide it was a good idea to spend two hours watching Samson of all movies. When I think as much as Christians like to dog on Netflix for having a lot of filth, which appropriate, I mean, yeah, it does. So does being on Facebook. So does being on all kinds of social media. So does your local library. But some people are expecting a film like this to be appropriate and okay and not problematic. And I think Catherine and I just sort of having an awareness of of pure flex and awareness, uh, which by the way, like if you don't understand like why Catherine and I have pr- particular reservations for pure flex films and stuff like that, you'll understand as we divulge further. But the point being that we would always see this here and be like, should we just dive in and do it? Should we just get the popcorn, get a six pack and just do it? Rip off the bandaid. <laughs> Basically. And it's like, this is the world's biggest bandaid on the hairiest arm you've ever seen. <laughs> but, <laughs> and this is this is one of those things where if, if any of our listeners remember a couple months ago when Netflix was trying out the two times speed for watching something. It's almost like you would have preferred watching Samson at like two times speed just to just to get it over with as fast as fast as you can. But since Catherine had done the study, since Catherine had been asked to lead a particular session and therefore had more intensive, you know, study into it because she had to do a bunch of prep work. She had to be prepared for questions to be asked by people who are who she was leading. She had to look at commentary on Samson and really understand why is this why was Samson made a judge when the Lord knew the life he was going to live? What is it about Israel that Samson is representing? What also should we be seeing about Christ in the Samson story for all of you seminarians who know the uh, intrinsic nature of, of biblical theology? So it's it it's just a it was perfect timing, basically, because we're also currently the podcast is on the hiatus and during the hiatus we're prepping episodes and this is one we decided we'd prep and yeah it's it was very interesting so Catherine why don't you tell us why don't you tell us what your thoughts are on the Samson movie as a movie and don't be afraid to divulge even further not just as a movie but perhaps even just as a biblical adaption yeah so with Samson I think I definitely got what I was expecting I wasn't expecting this film to be very biblically accurate. I wasn't expecting it to handle some of the more extreme content that's present in the biblical account of Samson. So I don't think I was necessarily surprised by what we ended up getting out of our viewing experience. Something that I think is just fair to say is it's really horribly biblically inaccurate. We could get more into like the 
the nitty gritty of is it okay to take artistic liberties with a story but just off the bat if you're looking for an accurate adaptation of the story of samson this is probably not the place you want to go looking honestly you could probably watch a veggie tales version of something like this and it would be more accurate to the story than what we get here could you imagine a VeggieTales adaption of Samson where he's just drinking like, I don't know, I guess they would make vodka, but then if it's potato vodka, it's just like cannibalism across <laughs> like different fruits and veggies, <laughs> like just drinking each other, <laughs> which yeah. honestly, as far as Samson is concerned, he is a bit of a, he is an extreme scumbag. So why wouldn't he drink potato vodka? Just <laughs> be so bad what i need someone to make a visual of that that's like a t-shirt well i mean like and that brings a new meaning to like the whole nazarite vow that samson has where it's it's telling him don't drink wine don't touch dead things and don't (laughs) cut his hair so first off the vegetable doesn't have hair second if you're touching a dead thing like imagine going to a wedding feast and you just look on the table and there's like vegetable stew like yeah it it's it's kind of ridiculous to think about. Besides the biblical inaccuracies, I think some of the main feelings that I walked away with having watched Samson was that it's this sort of like Frankenstein's monster where everything from the story to the dialogue to the acting and even sometimes the costuming or the more technical aspects just had like no real connective tissue. If a line was written poorly, it might have been delivered fine, but it wasn't a great line. Or if someone was doing a fine job with acting, it might have not been written or shot in a way that was necessarily, uh, like, it, it would be written or shot in a way that wasn't complementary to the performance. Yeah, it was like just a very strange experience to see the level of quality and just some of the strange choices that they chose to make. You and I kept having a good time, which this would be like if you made a a responsible, appropriate drinking game of watching Samson. You would take a take a sip every time you saw a bad wig or bad facial hair. Because one of there's a particular character that's not non-canonical to the Samson story. Samson has a brother in this film, which, of course, he does not in real life. Or at the very least, we're not told about one. And he has a really bad wig. He's also very white and European, which you have to remember, this is a story about Israelites who are not very white. <laughs> they, they look like Israelites. They look Jewish. They would have darker skin and probably not bright blue eyes like this man did. And he has a really bad wig. And he then later in the film, when they want to show a time skip, they just give everybody beards, but they're really bad beards. And like you're saying, it's just not complimentary to the actors. It's sad because you you know that these people came on set like to do a job. And I think it's very easy for people who just kind of think of movies as purely entertainment to forget that this is somebody's job. Somebody came here to get paid. Somebody came here to pay for their children's tuition. Somebody came here to get food on their table. And they're coming here going, I want to do a good job. And something about like something that we all experience when we're at work is that, you know, your coworkers are paramount to your own success. So when I go to work, I know that I'm really only as good as when somebody else is able to help me out well or to make me 
do my job better. Community is everywhere. And when you walk on set and your makeup department isn't able to to help out well, you're then having to sort of pick up that slack. So this brother character, who again is not canonical, he really just has to make up for the fact that he just looks ridiculous. And even if he's putting on a good performance, he just can't get past the fact that that wig keeps shifting on his forehead and you're really just not quite sure where his hairline is anymore. And that's just so sad because again, like these people are just showing up to do their job. Like this is just a job. So you can tell a passion project when you see it. And Samson really doesn't feel like that. And that's fine because not every movie is a passion project. In fact, certain passion projects are a disaster, but that doesn't mean you just show up and not do your job. You want to do a good job. People, whenever you have a job, you want to do a fine job. And so I don't know. I keep saying job. Take a shot every time I say job. So (laughs) don't do that. You'll die. Yeah. I just, I think like when I think about this film as an adaption, it's just when I think about Samson as an adaption, it's poorly made. And I, I don't really enjoy knocking on films for being bad, but there are things in this film that are just so off kilter and functionally uninteresting that like I myself as an as an audience member could not get into it. I just don't even think I'd consider Samson charming in its ineptitude. It's just sad. And I don't think with this, like with any real humor or cynicism, because I don't want to make the assumption that everyone in the production approached Samson with unbridled hubris, which I really feel like pure flicks pursues. But again, we'll get to that a bit later. Like I said, I think people are just there to work. Taylor James, who looks a lot like Taylor Lautner from from twilight the twilight series this this guy looks so much like taylor lautner and you just have to do a double take and then when you see that his name is taylor james it's just uncanny it doesn't make it any better that jackson rathbone who also had a role in the twilight series plays like the philistine king in this story so you just keep looking at taylor james and you think oh is that taylor lautner and like, are they best buds? Like, is this them doing a job together because they're like, hey, let's just make a quick buck and just like, <laughs> we know each other. So let's have a good time. It's just really strange. And so like, I mean, I, even though I'm saying all of that, like, you know, not everybody, probably people aren't showing up expecting themselves to be like, you know, this isn't built on hubris. That doesn't mean I can just ignore quality. Like we just talked about the wig and these facial hair things that just don't work out but like Catherine said like the film isn't really shot very well or in an inspiring manner in fact there's a particular scene later where two two characters are arguing and then somebody does something violent to the other character and there's like a it's like a revelation of a character reaching a particular point in there which i don't know why i'm trying to be careful to not spoil the movie <laughs> but like it's just typical of me not to do that but basically this scene is intense and it's intense because of what it could have been and how it could have been shot but how the scene actually is handled is very boring and stale and flat and like that's just you know you have to recognize that sometimes like things like that just don't work out in the case and in the case of samson a story that i think is possible to adapt into film you just got to recognize, though, that like it's just not handled well. I mean, even content wise, like Samson is a very violent story. And in just four chapters, Samson has brutally killed hundreds of people, it embraces like deep seated rage and also like just has copious amounts of unwedded sex. Like this guy is a, just a, a wild man who just is just 
doing what he wants, which is really kind of like a lot of what you get from judges is like, this is what the world does when it does what it wants to do. And I think it's possible to adapt a lot of that stuff in a way that's respectful. I think you can have violence that can be really shocking and provocative without exploiting humanity as just in general being image bearers. You can do that without it being mean or or nasty or there's a particular term I'm looking for, mean-spirited. You can do that without it being mean-spirited. You can also kind of do that, I think, with sex, at the very least, in implications. People typically always say you can just have the uh, the cigarette break scene that's always used in classic film. Yeah, I think you can have things that are, I would say, sensual and provocative without it being inappropriate or testing anyone's patience. But like this film is so chaste and so overtly careful that it's boring and nothing's provided. Like I should find the violence in this film incredibly shocking, especially because Samson isn't really a good guy. Yeah, he's he, what he does should be really kind of disgusting to me. And, and disgusting doesn't mean not entertaining. Like you can find violence in movies disgusting and entertaining at the same time because a movie does need to be like a movie you need to kind of argue even if it's a pure like a piece that's supposed to be provocative and make you think things that are difficult you should still be able to step away and go that was at least entertaining and yeah like what do you think about that cat like it's lack of almost maturity like what do you think about that i'll be the first person to agree that like samson is a hard r story and I can see where it would be an intimidating story for people to even think about adapting for a contemporary Christian audience. But I think that how this film handled it, which was to completely cut out or cherry pick what it wanted and toss away the rest and not even address it, was the wrong way to go. To ignore the sinful content of the story or to reframe it in a way that makes Samson the good the good guy that makes Samson this like really buff version of Christ was not at all a good way to handle it. Can you explain a scene where he is basically being the buff version of Christ as opposed to what he is scripturally? Yeah. So one of the examples that I think about a lot in this film is so here's, here's the deal about Samson. I know we've kind of briefly mentioned just part of who he is as a person. But Samson is a womanizer, and Samson is a really rage-filled, vengeance-seeking kind of man. So in, in this particular part of the story, Samson has just found out that uh, his wife has been, or his soon-to-be wife has been murdered. And he is so angry that he goes and he slaughters a ton of guys. And then he runs away and hides in this cave. And so in the biblical account of Samson, what we're given is a picture of this cowardly man who runs away. And as he's hiding out in this cave, all of his kinsfolk gather together and say that they're going to build an army to subdue Samson, to bring him to the Philistines, because the people of Israel at the time are just way more concerned about keeping the peace with Philistine and keeping comfortable with Philistine. So there's like no qualms for them to go and take the person that God has given them as their deliverer 
and basically say like, yeah, here's Samson, do with him whatever you want. But in the movie, what we get is a picture of like this shameful Samson that runs away and hides in this hill. And then we have a scene where the Philistines get to be really nasty to the people of Judah. And what happens is we have the Philistine prince or whoever come in and say to Samson's family, oh, we're going to kidnap Samson's dad and hold him hostage so that, you know, if you can't find Samson, something bad's going to happen. And so we have Samson's brother in the film go on his own to Samson. And what he ends up doing is he goes to Samson to tell him how great he is and how cool he is and how thankful he is that he has him as a judge and how it's not a big deal that Samson breaks his Nazarite vow. And we have this example in the movie that totally misses the point that Israel at this point is willing and able to capture their own savior because they're really happy to live as a part of their Philistine culture. Yeah, and they've basically decided like, um, well, we would rather trust the Philistines to take care of us than for the Lord to provide this deliverer who is Samson to then, you know, slay them and give them freedom because it might be worse on the other side. And so they're like, we'll just give you Samson and you just leave us alone, which is way different, functionally different. I mean, what that's showing is that Israel has completely sided with the world and said, like, God, we don't feel like you'll be better off than where we are now. And then and then another scene that is just so different than what we get, you know, in scripture is there. I remember that one part where he basically is in, I think he's like, so this is after his first wife is dead and he's just like, he just like goes to a brothel. Like this is in scripture. Yeah. He just goes to a brothel and just like sleeps with tons of women. But in the movie, he's looking for lodging. A woman says, you can come stay here. And then he goes and then they just show him like in a hotel room. And this this is like, you know, a, a, an ancient hotel room, but he's just there. <laughs> and he's like, I would have never stayed here if I knew what kind of hotel this was. And you're like, no, like Samson was happy to be there, <laughs> like, which is bad. But that's the point. Like this guy just had no care for the law. He did not care. And like the thing in the story of Samson is like, neither did Israel. Israel just did not care. I mean, another thing was his first wife, like he gets married to her and then Samson's gone and he comes back and is like looking for his wife. And then his dad just says like, oh, well, like you were gone. And so I just gave her away. <laughs> You're just like, this is, this is in scripture. And he's like, would you, would you be happy if I just found you another wife? And you're like, all of these men are terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, this is insane. What I thought was like particularly funny, and I know I, I've mentioned this to Melvin before, but as I was listening to a recorded teaching for my Bible study from Jen Wilkins, there's a point where she's talking about the story of Samson and she just pauses and says, you know what? The men in this story, they're just so yucky. <laughs> and like I have to agree like the men in, and it's not just the men like it's all of Israel is yucky like all of these characters in these settings aren't the clean cut happy bible belt put a smile on your face kind of 
narrative that this movie is trying to pursue. To kind of comment on the brothel scene too, what you can come to realize is that Samson in that particular scene, it's only like a verse in the Bible, but like one verse, but in that particular scene, Samson goes towns away to seek out foreign women because he thinks that's better than what the Lord has provided him among his own people. Like there are so many different pictures of Samson representing the state of Israel at the time. And this movie totally misses out on that. Knowing what I know about Samson biblically, I couldn't help but laugh. Like whenever he has a sip of wine and then he spits it out or when he goes to the brothel and he's like, I thought this was a hotel. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's I can't like, get over that's it. That's what somebody says when they're caught in sin. They're like, I just thought this was a hotel. Like, no, you. the only reason you would be there is because you were six steps ago decided I'm going to go sleep with random people. And you're like, no, you scumbag. So, yeah, it's it's the strange thing and yeah there were i think there were a few scenes that were were funny in their poor execution but i this is this is one of those cases where like while my wife is laughing like i'm over here just like past the cage stage as she described and i'm like i think it's just like like i just lean back on the sad thing where it's just like i don't know i and this might sound almost a little pretentious but like in my notes i was saying like i wouldn't demean or condemn the artistic merit of a child their work is beautiful and their ability to create something you know but like at the end of the day like this is these are adults making this movie who i would hope that be they're making movies because they also just love the the medium they love film as a a means of translation as a means of expression and so then they would go and make a film and think like those masterful directors who know how to speak through a film I want to be able to speak through movies and glorify the Lord in that way too. But like, you just don't really get it. And I just feel like everybody who is, who takes part in this movie, they just don't make it out without scathing remarks. Like it's just really bad. And like one point for me is like, I'm not offended by a movie just being poorly made, but this movie's more than just poorly made. Like it is a, an adaption of a biblical story that is God breathed. And the Lord is trying to speak to us in a particular way through the Samson story. And when you adapt something for me, I think that you may not have to adapt all the story points. So like if you're adapting like Lord of the Rings, people, there are scenes in Lord of the Rings that are not in the movies, but people will step away and say like the movies work because like the main point still gets across. You still know what the themes are and the tones are and the characters arcs are still functionally going in the same direction. They just might do it in a, a different order, b stripping out certain scenes and implementing others or just C being like totally different, but still kind of emphasizing like particular character traits that are necessary. I mean, the two scenes that people always think about, I, I, I believe always think about are very early in the fellowship of the ring the hobbits hide behind like a tree stump and a ring wraith is right there like that's not in the books that's just there and it was really a great scene it's super tense it's very frightening uh and you're actually learning about how the ring wraiths affect other people affect nature and like that's a really great scene or at the very end of the story when there's a there's a particular scene that peter jackson just hated in the books so he just didn't put it in the movie <laughs> and 
it's still fine. It works. And some people arguably prefer that over the ending of the books. But the thing about Samson is that what's changed and what's added, none of it actually helps what's supposed to be the main point, as we sort of described is like in Samson, like it's supposed it's very much representative of Israel and how Israel has just forsaken the Lord. And then even another thing that like the Lord still through Samson is going to save his people. But a lot of that is undermined by the sanitation and the outright changes of the story. Because I think what's crazy, like as you were reading through Samson, as you were learning through it and then talking with me was just being reminded of the fact that the fact that Samson is such a scumbag, such a terrible person, but the Lord never takes his hand away from him. Like I was thinking a lot like, well, why did the Lord not take his hand away from Samson? And why did the Lord continue to bless Samson up to his death? Even when Samson kills the Philistines because out of vengeance, not even like for the Lord. Like he says, Lord, like give me the strength to kill them, to avenge like everything that they've done to me basically. And And then the Lord just does it. As opposed to, Lord, this is why you've put me here for your glory. Let me kill all these people. Mm-hmm. And then I think of like King Saul. And I'm like, Saul like does a lot of stuff. And and arguably, you could even say is not nearly as uh, abrasive as Samson. And then the Lord just says like, no, I'm taking my spirit from you and I'm going to bring another king. And then, of course, that king is David. And like all of that really like you just like I said, like you don't get by sanitizing the story. That's when I think it steps into offensiveness for me. And I think for most people who watch Christian movies is when these films espouse like Christian rhetoric, but completely miss the mark. And I don't know. I There's also just like the general distaste people have for adapting anything from the Bible, which is sad to me because I think some of these stories, not that they'll be improved because they won't be improved. Anything that is an adaption is a loss in translation. Like that's just how translations work. You reading scripture in English functionally is in a quote unquote adaption. Yes, you can trust the Lord to still speak through to you in that way, but that's still an adaption. Some people even argue there are better translations and most people will argue that the message is still the worst one, but they don't know about the Nyan cat version or like there's like the, the, the wall cat translation. Google it. It's terrible, but it exists. They basically translate the entire, it's the the entire Bible translated in memes. It's, it's weird, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. What, what do you feel about that in regards to like an adaption? Like does the film go from just bad to offensive? Like, what do you think? I don't think for myself personally that the Samson movie crosses that line into it being outright offensive. So I think the biggest thing that the story suffers from is in choosing to completely depart from the source material, which in this case is the Bible. It's creating this kind of gap in between what it what it could have been and what it actually is. By actually choosing to stick closer to the source material, I feel like maybe there would have been less of a chance of creating cracks in the foundation of the story. I think just because of my problem and distaste for what they did to the story, I'm willing to be a little more patient with the cast and the crew of the production. There's there's nothing from a technical standpoint that makes me go, oh, this is so, so horrible. 
there are things that are like poorly done, sure, or things that are mismatched, but there's nothing that downright offends me in this film. I, I would say the closest thing that comes to offending me is the departure that they take from the story. The fact that you can't even look at this ad adaptation of Samson and look at the biblical account of Samson and say, yeah, you know, they got mostly everything right. Like they, it's like they chose to take certain set pieces out of the story and certain characters out of the story, but completely toss the baby out with the bathwater. Like everything that they didn't keep just left room for them to 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 make more mistakes. I th I was I almost expected you to say the only thing that was offensive in the movie is the fact that they don't ogle women, but then they ogle Taylor James's muscles. Uh. <laughs> like for some reason, he went from like being just like he's in the middle of this big fight, which is like the big selling point for the movie. I mean, if if anybody remembers when it was for some reason had a theater release on the poster, they would advertise it as the world's first superhero. <laughs> Because it was, I think, it released at the end of phase two of the MCU. So it was just like the weirdest thing. Samson is now canon in the MCU. But he's in the big fight scene and he goes from clothes to like now just sort of in like raggedy shorts because he's been fighting for so long. And he doesn't even look sweaty. He just looks oiled. Like they just look <laughs> like they had some people come up and just oiled him like um, that uh, in Nacho Libre when Ramses is getting oiled. And it's just like the weirdest scene. <laughs> But yeah. uh, it's too funny. Now that you bring that up, something that I thought was really impressive was that particular fight scene was well choreographed and color graded. And you've got like these dynamic angles and you've got oily Taylor James. But <laughs> like, like, in, oily other, men. <laughs> in other parts of the film, like. There are these CG backgrounds. Yeah, the, there's that one scene when he steps outside the cave <laughs> and the CG is like, it's like something from a Neil Breen film. Yeah, yeah, like all that, all that I like could think of as he steps out of this cave is, I'm now resigning as president of the bank. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't keep it together. So like, again, I feel like there are certain parts of this film where you see a competency from the cast and crew and then there are just other things that seem so alien that you wonder, like, how did they get here? They're big fans of the talking heads. Well, how did I get here? That's <laughs> that's what's what this movie is. Well, yeah, it's is, it's weird to jump on that. Like, this is not your beautiful house. This is not your beautiful Samson. Sorry. <laughs> so I guess moving on, like, I, I wanted to ask you a question about a bit of what has been said is a bit of what I'll probably ask here, but I have this question that has been sort of running around in my head for a few months now. And it's probably been since I did my review for the King, that Netflix exclusive film from last year It was directed by David Michaud and featured Tim Timothee Chalamet, Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, Robert Pattinson, a, a lot of people. And it was a loose adaption of Shakespeare's Henry ad, which is also a, an adaption of the historical figure of King Henry V. He was King Henry was of course known for brilliant acts of war and also kind of having a strange mixture of piety and anger. He would worship with reckless abandon, but then also call for prisoners of war to just be slaughtered like on a whim. He was just a really weird guy. 
he also had a bowl haircut, which like the only photo you can ever find online is like, well, not photo, I guess it's a painting, but still, it's just really funny. But <laughs> the reason I bring that up is while I was working on my review for that film, I got to thinking about the value of accuracy in a biopic or any sort of historical narrative. When adapting historical narratives with historical figures, you're ultimately writing a story about real people. I think Daniel in a previous episode of our podcast put it the best way. He's, he basically said, what if far in the future, someone became enamored with Daniel? They were so fascinated with his story that they decided to do all this research and they then put pen to paper and they just wrote his story. However, they don't just write his story. They fill in the gaps, build drama and do whatever they can to not only relay the information of what this author can search for, but also make for a good narrative. You can probably already tell the issue here. The author is having to navigate not only history and historical accuracy, but the medium that they're choosing to relay that story, which is a narrative. And in doing so, they risk being inaccurate. And this is where Daniel said, what if they wrote into the story that for some reason I blasphemed against God? And it, it was in a way that maybe he never has. Because let's be real, we've all blasphemed against God. We've all sinned. And so obviously we need Christ. But his point was like, what if it was something so off baseline and it was something wild and crazy? Like, what if he just murdered someone? Like, Daniel hasn't murdered someone as far as I know. <laughs> like, as far <laughs> as our walk together, he has not confessed to that. And I'm sure he hasn't. But I'm going to grill you next time we talk, Daniel. <laughs> but basically, he says, like, what if they wrote that into the story? Now, because they're telling you it's historic, it's a historical narrative, like you, people watching that story might think it's true. But see, the problem is in the inaccuracy. It's in the problem is in misrepresenting Daniel. And in the case of the king, not everything is accurate. In fact, Joel Edgerton's character in that film is entirely fictitious. Falstaff is a character from Shakespeare's adaption and is entirely exempt from the historical record about King Henry V. So in the king, the character arc that's told between King Henry and Falstaff is inaccurate to history and arguably misrepresents the real King Henry and ultimately is like, what? Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And this is where I wonder to myself if, if it's not gossip and it's not slander, because ultimately the movie isn't trying to be a story and is not trying to be historically accurate and breaking the ninth commandment, which of course we all know the ninth commandment is don't bear false witness to your neighbor. Like if it's not doing that then like what is it because Falstaff as a character and the character arc in the king isn't trying to tell you that this is historically accurate it's just trying to tell a story about like a king who comes into power and the corruption of power but also the surrounding issues of corruption of power it's also a familial like a family-based story it's like the sins of the father carry to the son kind of thing so like what is it because coming back to Samson, Samson is not only a film based on history, it's also based on the Bible. And to that degree, it's incredibly inaccurate as we've gone over. And it's like painful. Like that failure of inaccuracy is painful. And and like if if all I had to do to succeed was still emphasize the same point of the Samson story, then even then the film could just risk being historically inaccurate because Samson isn't just the Bible story being told to you. It is history being told to you and this led me to another example so i talked about the king but now i'm going to look at like harriet from last year which was by, based on the life of harriet tubman and it's not entirely accurate but you get the same thing from that film as you may from any historical document albeit less information you get a few main aspects of her life including her several missions and her devout dependence on god amidst her journey 
But even that film includes a character that isn't so much historically accurate insofar as they represent a particular historical truth at the time. Janelle Monet plays a woman in that film who owns a home in the North and her particular character doesn't exist in the you know, story that we know of, of Harriet Tubman, but what they, what her character represents historically and narratively functions to represent the historical truth that's trying to be told. And I'm not here to say all this and then go, oh yeah, that Samson film, at least it succeeds in its narrative pursuit. It makes some sense in that regard because it doesn't, it's just kind of a boring and laughable movie. No, I'm bringing all that up because I want to ask the question, when does a historical narrative either cross into fiction or become dangerous in how it depicts historical figures. Like, what do you think about that, Catherine? Off of what you've said, I think Samson falls hard into the fiction territory. Like we've kind of mentioned before, I cannot look at this and say it's accurate. I can't look at it and say that, like, I mean, I mean, you even said it. You can't even really look at it and say, well, narratively, it makes sense. Because there are just some things that don't match up in having this particular character of Samson and then even some of the choices that they made and how they depict Israel at the time. It's just not accurate. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought up Falstaff from The King and even um, the Northern Woman from Harriet. Because as we had mentioned previously, Samson's brother is this like non-canonical character that is there to help Samson on his journey in this movie. And I think, well, you can like make the argument that Falstaff and the Northern Woman actually either help to expand upon things that were going on inside of our main character's head or to continue to push them on in their journey or to represent a historical truth at the time. Samson's brother only really continued to carry on a false representation of what was happening in Israel during the time of the judges. For instance, spoilers, uh, Samson, <laughs> like, I, I mean... Spoilers I'm, for scripture. <laughs> for the Bible. This, this brother of his is there the entire time telling Samson, like, God's not done with you. God's not dead. And, like, he's this inner voice for Samson many times that just isn't really accurate to what Samson has done and continues to do throughout the entire story, which is seek his own vengeance. Almost every single time in the Bible where Samson has been threatened or gone to battle or had anything happen like that, um, anytime he's killed a person, it's been for his own vengeance. When Samson's first wife dies at the hands of the Philistines, Samson says, well, now I have a right to get even with them, basically. And, like, that's that's who Samson is. So to have this fictitious character stand in to feed more lies into the story about who the main character is, is just totally not helpful and definitely dangerous. I don't think it's helpful at all. Even the philistine prince that we see in this film kind of exists to give this story a pharaoh character when there's not really a pharaoh character like it's not the exodus it's not you know israel being whipped and chained and told to build pyramids at the time of the judges in this particular part of history 
Israel's pretty happy being a part of the Philistines and of the surrounding culture. It just isn't at all helpful to have the narrative departures that they have in bringing this movie to the screen. I can't really make an argument that it's good. Yeah, I think like at the end of the day, this film is discardable. Like there's really nothing to gleam from it. It's not biblically accurate. It's not even really entertaining. Like if it was at least entertaining, that could be kind of fun in itself. But even then, that would also make it kind of gross to watch because like it's just an adaption that's not faithful in any way. It doesn't change anything to like as per the medium to try to still emphasize the original narrative's point. It's just kind of cheaply made and that's kind of it and i think the other thing too that's also very difficult for the two of us to 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 reconcile is that this is a pure flex film which pure flex will argue that they come from a position of they want to make wholesome media for people to consume they want to make it so that when you watch them you know that you can still know that you're kind of doing the right thing like you're not watching actors be put in compromising positions You're not watching overt violence that can be traumatic, which Mm. I agree with those tenets. I do not agree, however, with pure flicks. I don't agree with their adaptions of biblical stories. I think they're all dangerous. I don't agree with their very popular God's Not Dead series. I think that those films honestly can do more harm in in your theological understanding of of God, uh, of the world, of... There's doctrines in them that are not functional to scripture. Mm-hmm. I think in the future that cinematic doctrine will pursue talking about them. In fact, I know behind the scenes, Daniel and I have spoken about like taking that on as an opportunity to speak into not just film as a medium of under of but like a language. Film is a language of translating things, but also like how Christianity, rather than learning how to speak the language, is not interested in that at all. And it almost is indicative of their lack of pursuit of understanding of the language of of the Bible. That's nuanced. That's heavy. That is loaded. Let's move on. Well, and with what you're mentioning, too, if we have this production company that is touting itself as being safe for Christians or a, you know, uh, an agreeable company but it's not really that by tackling something that's biblical. It's really sad to see these great chances for like evangelism or for the, the good things that could happen from having more Christians engaged in art in general, but like in film culture, being able to like have voices out there that actually uh, represent a a positive and well-informed consumer i i hate using that word but like well i mean like you have people in film communities and cultures who love paul schrader people love reading his book transcendental transcendentalism and film or, or whatever it's called people love martin scorsese and they really enjoy his spiritual engagement and while the two of them have very askew theology very off kilter i mean paul schrader is questionable at best and dangerous at worst and even martin scorsese has like a weird form of like catholicism and spiritualism people i think are eager to lap at that because people are seeking out hope and there's always the danger of uh, pursuing elegance in speech we know about that in scripture Mm -hmm. i cannot 
I'm not Carter Bennett. I am not able to just whip out verses just like that. <laughs> I just remember themes and concepts. I can whip out lines from movies. I can quote <laughs> movies. <laughs> but my brain just ain't like that with literature. Point being, though, people love like those sort of movies. And they also love to engage those discussions. So it's not like film people hate spiritualism. And I wouldn't even argue it's that film people hate Christianity. It's almost just like, for some reason, Christians have just decided to backhand art and, and film and decided, you know, we don't need to speak to people in the language that they speak. Yeah, It's not to the same degree. And maybe I'll get people in my DMs for this, but it's almost the equivalent of like, if you were to go to a foreign country and demand that they speak English so that you can tell them the Bible, it's like, no. You start talking their language. You sit at their table. Mm -hmm. You start eating their food. And then you can be like, we're good friends and neighbors. Let me tell you the ways in which the Lord has come to reconcile this world and reconcile your relationship with him. But PureFlix isn't concerned with that. PureFlix is, I would argue, concerned with making money. What they saw is that there is a market of people, a market of Christians and nominal Christianity and honest, good Christians that aren't being marketed to. And PureFlix decided, oh, we can market to them. And so they're making movies on a low budget. They know where to advertise. And then you go see it and you give them lots of money and they are successful. It's a successful model. It's not like as successful as somebody like Blumhouse, who's just like, may give them a $4 million budget and make 10 million and we've, we're, we're fine. But PureFlix is successful. But Success doesn't necessarily mean healthy, doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean good. We all know that. We all agree with that. And I think like if you are not just trying to be successful in making movies, but you're successful in exploiting people who love the Lord, I don't know. That feels really disgusting to me. And I think I, I would hope it feels disgusting to you. That sounds like Pharisees who are making laws and are making like taxes and and trying to find ways to say if you want to honor the lord you have to do it in this way oh by the way pay up yeah that's like what catholics did with indulgences back in ye old days to get you out of purgatory it was like oh you want to do the right thing you got to pay up and do it this way oh you want to make sure you're honoring the lord do it this way but we live in a world of consumerism which I hate using as well. I like the word customer because customer doesn't demean you into something that's just a mouth that feeds. But we live into a, in a culture that functions in a, in a mouth that feeds way and also seeks to propagate that. Like this is the way to live. Oh, you want to live a, the better life now? You want to live your best life now? Buy this product. You need this. You deserve this. This will make your life better. Guess what? You want to watch movies? Come watch Samson. Come watch Unplanned, of all things. And oh. you know what? You're going to honor the Lord. Which, by the way, Kat and I, we are pro-life. But Unplanned <laughs> is a disgusting film. Disgusting film. It is tasteless. It is terrible. That's all I'll say because someday we'll cover Unplanned. And I don't, oh, I don't know if I could rewatch it. I think I would just have to talk about it from my experience from last year watching it. And I, I don't know. Anyways, anyways. PureFlix has a subsidiary called Quality Flix, which also, if you case you didn't know, pushes films that are incredibly almost alt-right, which most conservatives would agree that like alt-right is is vile, racist and disgusting. And some people, I don't know why you would defend Nazis, but there's also like this weird culture of Christian conservatives who defend like neo-Nazis and say they're not really Nazis, they're just alt-right. And like, well, 
okay, you changed the name. <laughs> Good job. Like that's that's what companies do when they make a bad choice. You know the Weinstein companies just trying to distance oh. itself from Harvey Weinstein by changing their name. It's like no, you still have pervs in your, like in your offices. They have a subsidiary called Quality Flicks. And in Quality Flicks, they actually just focus on political films. They don't really focus on much of anything else. And they'll espouse things that are very alt-right. They'll espouse things that aren't always entirely accurate. They put things in these movies that people just lap up. Most notably are the two films, Hillary's America and Death of a Nation, which if you don't know what Death of a... Like the title, Death of a Nation, is kind of hearkening back to. It's Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation is the first feature length film that like ever existed. Like it, there's one Australian film that's about the Kelly gang, but that's very different. <laughs> and that's a historical trail I'm not going to go on right now. But Birth of a Nation is a highly racist revisionist film. This is a film that was made by people who hated black people, who hated anybody who wasn't white, who basically rein- reinvigorated the KKK. Birth of a Nation is revisionist history that believed like black people killed Abraham Lincoln and the KKK stepped in to recover the like the nation basically. And it was so inflammatory that there were people first off people were protesting the film. Like they recognized like this film is fake, nothing about it is true. You are taking history and saying like racist rebuilt the south rebuilt uh, the nation after Abraham Lincoln died, which is just not true. Mm. And there are stories of People in theaters like th- this film, I, it's disgusting to read about, but there are particular fil- scenes in the film where they have people in blackface that are trying to sexually assault a woman. And there's one particular story where in a theater, a man watching the film was believed it was so realistic. He pulled out his gun to try and shoot at these men in blackface who are being projected on the screen. Like this is wild stuff. And after Birth of a Nation came out, The KKK, which had basically been dying, like wasn't going to exist anymore at that point. Birth of a Nation came out and it completely reinvigorated the KKK. It went from like it went from like less than a thousand members to multiple tens of thousand members rejoining Mm -hmm. the KKK because there was almost a public acceptance of it. So when you see a film called Death of a Nation coming out in 2018 that has like I'm looking at the poster right now, half of the face is Abraham Lincoln and the other half of the face is Donald Trump. And it's called Death of a Nation. Can we save America a second time? Like this is this is the same company. Like this is a subsidiary. So Pure Flix and Quality Flix are the same people. When you have a, a film called God's Not Dead that is trying to espouse Christian rhetoric that's just not accurate or true or anything, also releasing a film called Death of a Nation and Hillary's America and is uh, is discussed like I I only I don't even know how to like continue speaking about this because like if you don't understand the problems here, that's that's the first mistake. And this is the first time I'll be as declarative as I am now because I don't like being like that. I don't. But like, uh, it's like you should be feeling your blood boil right now. Pure Flix is exploiting Christians. Pure Flix knows Christians, nominal Christianity, and it knows that there's almost like a market that's not being tapped in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Point being. Pureflix is not a Christian company. It is a company that exists in the Western American canon that capitalism is the best way to go. And they saw a market and they're trying to hit it. And that's why Samson is sanitized. Because if Samson had all of the content that is actually in the Bible about the Samson story, 
you would have like a scene like from Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> you would have disgusting orgies in this film that Nicholas Winding Refn would be like, I can't wait to do that because I love nudie in my movies. Like, I don't I don't understand how you like why Pure Flix decided to adapt this other than for the Lord to give us an opportunity to point at them and go, that's problematic. There is something wrong here. Yeah, it is pretty disgusting to just see. Uh, again, this is. This is not like good Christian people making a good Christian movie for your good Christian audience. Like this is a company that sees that and like they don't look at it in the customer kind of standpoint. They look at it and see the consumer. They know that there is something that they can be filling in their market. And so it is it is very sad. It's it's sad to know that like I am of the belief that there is a totally viable way to make a movie for Samson that is biblically accurate, doesn't exploit people, and is like actually a good movie. But we're not going to get that from Pure Flix. We're we're just not. And that's that's really sad. That it's sad to think that there are people that are well intentioned and think that this is a well intentioned company. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So on that note, we're going to just do quick bullets, although I see that you wrote things, so maybe I'll do quick bullets. Mm -hmm. Kat and I decided our final thing would be if there was a Samson movie that was going to be better and Lord willing, accurate to the story, who would we want to be involved? And then we would, of course, just have to trust the Lord that they make sure it's all accurate. So I decided for my director, writer and actors, and I decided to focus purely on having people who were from Jew Jewish descent, because unlike Samson, I actually want people who are in the movie to actually be representative of the culture that they're supposed to be, because <laughs> by gosh, golly, there's a lot of white people in Samson. I decided to choose director Gareth, Ed Gareth Evans, who directed The Raid and Apostle. Gareth Evans is no, for if you know about The Raid and The Raid 2, these movies are extremely fun martial arts films. That's basically what they are. They're great. They're just really fun. He flew out to, I think they were shot in the Philippines. They're just, they're east, shot to out, in the, out in East Asia. They're really fun. They're really good. He knows how to handle action. And I think he could do that well. And then Apostle, which is uh, on Netflix, is a fine movie. So good. Yeah, it's, it, there's like things that about it that are really cool. It's, it's pretty dang graphic. <laughs> and I think the thing, though, is that he shoots the, the, the graphic content in regards to like violence and one particular scene, which is incredibly difficult to watch, but he shoots it in our respect of like, this should be disgusting to you. To me, I'm like, those things put together, like he could probably do Samson. And also, I don't think he has any nudity in any of his movies. So good. That means he could probably handle Samson's content without exploiting men or women in him. I also chose that, like, you know, let's just have the Coen brothers write it, because why not? And then I decided for Samson, because at this point, they'd be a bit older. I thought one of the Wolf brothers who... You should remember from that old Nickelodeon show, The Naked Brothers Band. <laughs> so Nat Wolf or Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf who has a great performance in Hereditary. Like he could just bulk up and he'd be able to do it. And then Nat Wolf, who is in Paper Towns and Death Note. Yeah, people really don't <laughs> like that Death Note movie, that Netflix Death Note movie. That's fair. But I think if either of them bulked up, they could probably do Samson. And then I thought Deli for Delilah, because honestly, what other characters do I have to work with? I thought for Delilah, you could have Aaliyah Shawcat, who we all know from Arrest Development and the very popular A24 movie Green Room. I, I think that could be fine. 
I don't I don't know what else you could do, but I really wouldn't be comfortable just having purely European actors in a film that is about Israel <laughs> and the Middle East. So that's that's what I'll go with. How about you, Kat? Who do you want to direct, write, and act in this movie? Yeah, so we've already kind of said that like it's obvious that we're not going to get like a good adaptation from you know the likes of somewhere in pure flicks like whoever whoever they have on retainer like we're not gonna get something good out of that yeah my choices might be kind of funny but i think that honestly if you had it directed by someone like quentin tarantino (laughs) you have to like i think for samson it's important that you have someone who understands how to like direct a scene that is violent and like visceral and Honestly, I'm a sucker for fake blood, so (laughs) I, yeah, I think you would have to have someone who would really understand the maturity needed to handle violent content. When it comes to writing, I think that it would be really helpful to have someone who has, you know, albeit maybe a flawed perspective, but some sort of perspective on biblical literature in general. So I was thinking Paul Schrader, who did First Reformed. But, like, on the other hand, I think that if you had someone maybe like Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Sicario, to have someone who understands what it's like to have a suspenseful and violent kind of story and how to handle that in a way that actually makes sense from a narrative perspective. But yeah, when I think of, like, my perfect version of Samson the movie and who would star in it, honestly, I don't think I'm too picky about it. I appreciate, Melvin, that you want to kind of make sure that it's accurate to the culture that the story of Samson represents. But I was thinking for Delilah, you could do um, Anna Diarmas. She just recently starred in Knives Out, and I think she did a great performance there. And honestly, for Samson, you could just keep Taylor James. Like, who cares? (laughs) It's just, yeah, why not? I mean, Taylor James, Taylor Lautner, I don't know. You could just like every scene just switch between Taylor James and Taylor Lautner. (laughs) You know, it it could be like like the MCU where you just have 12 different Chris's. And honestly, they're pretty interchangeable. Yeah, at some point you're just like, it's just big buff dude with blonde hair. One guy has long blonde hair and the other guy has short blonde hair. <laughs> and then you get to like Thor Ragnarok and Endgame and you're like, oh, they just all have short hair. Okay. And, and stubble. <laughs> yes, and stubble. Five o'clock shadow because ain't got time to shave when you're uh, saving the world. Thanks so much, Kat, though, for coming on. This was a fun way to kill some time during our quarantine. Because Lord knows there's not much else we can be doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm either going to like bake enough cookies that we're going to gain 20 pounds or... Fall into existential crisis and and lay on the couch for several hours. (laughs) You know me so well. (laughs) That's why we have to have the cookies so that when you do that, you got cookies in front of you. So, you know, it just feels a little better. You're the best and I love you. Love you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine, and thanks so much to Catherine for joining me on this bizarre adventure into the world of pure flicks. Now, if you've seen Samson, what did you think of it? Is this film not as bad as we think it is, or is it just as bad as we think it is? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below, or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. 
Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss or review on the podcast. You also gain access to The Sindoc Pre-Show, the upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.